Amen. You may be seated. Brother, come on up. Good morning, everyone. Well, what a blessing to be able to say that. Oh, my goodness, you look so good. I keep saying that every week, and you look so good out there online as well. Even though we can't see you, we know you can see us. We're glad to have you joining us. Boy, what a blessing it is to be in the house of the Lord, to be together. You know, uh, for quite a few months now, we've spent a lot of time with uh, somewhat whispering voices as we sing. But boy, just this morning to hear you all sing is just absolutely a joy. I think you're going to be a part of the heavenly choir is what I think. I'm pretty sure that you will. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that you will. Well, speaking of the heavenly choir, uh, just some news this morning. You may already know Brother Glenn Villers went to be with the Lord this morning at 7.01. Deanna's husband, uh, Brother Glenn, a dear brother in the Lord, a faithful servant, uh, struggled for a lot of years these past three years. And uh, Debbie and I were able to get by there last night late and uh, say so long. And uh, he got the word this morning. And so... Uh, Dee has asked that you please come by to see her and the family. She'd love to have you come. That wasn't her. Um, but uh, <laughs> making sure Facebook is working. All right. But please go by and, and see her, pray for them. And I know she'll appreciate that very much. There is a volume control on that thing. <laughs> anyway. Um, and we will let you know uh, when the service will be. We're already talking about that. And so as soon as we know something, we'll let you know, okay? Uh, there will be uh, a fellowship time afterwards. The family's already talked about that. They want to try to do that carefully. They're going to plate some meals and whatnot. Uh, but we'll, we'll work out those details, okay? So we're as safe as possible. But um, speaking of homegoing, I just want to thank you on behalf of Debbie and myself and my family for your tremendous tremendous outpouring of love for us and the home going of my dad a week ago today we had the service uh, it was a beautiful day thankfully the rain was not there that day and uh, we just had a wonderful time many many people came to pay him tribute and honor and uh, humbling to me as his son my dad was my hero just just absolutely my hero and uh, I so desperately have wanted to be like him in this life and um, just the people that have come to say uh, the kind things that they have. I'm sure those that didn't like him didn't come, and that's okay. You know, that happens too. Uh, but at least we were blessed with uh, 17 of you, at least we can count if we're accurate, came to the family night, and that was a two hour drive one way. And so thank you for your outpouring of love there. And then uh, some came to the service on Sunday, and that was another great long drive. And, and so just appreciate uh, the cards. Uh, the gifts, uh, just the privilege of being thought about. Maybe I should just say it that way. Uh, I was telling Brother Ed back there just a second ago, one of the things that people often say, we do this a lot with each other, is that what can I do? And uh, to me at least, and I think to, to our family, is just to, to know we're being thought about is tremendous. It's just so tremendous. And, and just to watch the outpouring of God's people uh, was such a blessing to us. And so we're rejoicing for Dad now that he's there with Mom. And uh, there's a lot to talk about that. I, I, I told uh, some folks that one of my greatest frustrations uh, officiating services for people that have gone on is that we just don't have enough time. Uh, we just don't have enough time to cover everything we want to cover. Uh, but the Lord knows that, and I always have to resign myself to that truth. And so... Uh, as uh, you're there with us in heart and spirit, I just wanted to thank you uh, for your love and just your comments and your thinking about us, okay? So let me, with all that said now, let me give you a couple other housekeeping things here. And if you're listening online, watching online, uh, we need some help in our children's ministry areas. Uh, we're trying to get things back in gear. Uh, we're looking for uh, leaders in various areas. If you're feeling God tugging on your heart, please let us know. And we're praying for you. We can get our children's ministries kicked back into gear. Wednesday nights, we're meeting now. Had a great crowd here Wednesday night. We're doing it by Zoom. Pastor Scott is meeting with his group. And uh, we're trying to get the, the kids organized. We do have a nursery worker that's here, but we're still struggling in the area of children's ministry. And this is not new to us, uh, new for us, or just exclusive to us. There are lots of churches experiencing the same kind of thing. Uh, but uh, God will bless us as we just are obedient to him. And so pray about that need. 
already mentioned the DIA starting that's Wednesday night at 6.30. So if you want to join us, uh, please do. Uh, we're in, just starting our study. And so uh, uh, that'll be a blessing to you, I know. Okay. Uh, and so um, also pray about this. We're going to put this one on hold. I was just telling Brother Craig, he is our missions team leader and was going to start this Sunday, a, uh, on the fourth Sunday of every month, we want to do a missions moment, if you will, uh, to profile some of the missionaries that we've been supporting. Speaking of which, our very own Howie and Debbie Campbell, live in the back row. <laughs> Didn't get a chance to say hello, but we're going to take time uh, in the future to catch updates on, on what's happening. Okay, we just don't have time to do that this morning. Had a little video we were going to show you. I'm going to send that out to you this week concerning Compassionate Hope Ministry that Brother Al just sent to us. A very, very important message about the persecuted church overseas in Thailand and Laos. Okay, So that'll be coming. All right. Now, without any further ado, uh, we have a young man who's coming to share with us his talents. And, uh, and uh, I know you're going to be blessed by it. Brother Neil, come and share with us uh, your a cappella voice. And uh, we were blessed this morning as... He was going to share with us the Lord's Prayer in song. And uh, that's where we are in our text this morning. And so come bless us, brother. temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory Thank you, Brother Neil. So I am not going to be singing the message, <laughs> but that was a good intro. Thank you, Brother. That is a very uh, critical and important part of the scriptures, uh, this prayer that the Lord has left for us. And so we want to look at that this morning as we're working our way through his sermon in chapter 6 of the Gospel of Matthew. So turn there, if you will, and uh, we're going to let the song be our prayer this morning as uh, the Lord gave it to us in that way, and then talk about what the Lord's meaning is behind it. So Matthew chapter 6, and I want to back up, though, to give the context, because it's been two weeks since we were together and didn't get a chance to uh, meet, at least as far as this. And speaking of which, I did this this morning, but uh, a big hearty thank you to uh, Brother Hamp for filling in last Sunday at the last minute. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm testing these guys just to see how ready they are. And, and let, me, let me just say this, though, in, in all seriousness. Uh, I, I am so blessed, personally, as the pastor, to have people to call upon who can just take over and do what's necessary. You know, I just, I, I struggle with those in leadership that have a hard time letting go. And my heart is just to see you grow and take ownership of church life and spiritual life. And, and all I had to say was, Hampless, and here's the situation. He said, don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. And I don't have to check on anything else. And that's a joy. 
I mean, that really is a blessing. That's a, a tribute to us as a church. You know, Christy in the back and, and all that goes on back there. Uh, boy, she does the Houdini Act almost every Sunday and pours her heart into this. I told her this morning, I said, I'm going to rob you one day from your full-time job and make this your full-time job. She said, oh, I love that. So we got her number now, right? We got her number. So uh, we'll make that happen, hopefully. But uh, anyway, so thank you, Brother Hamp. Okay, well, let's look at the text. If you'll stand and honor the Lord and his word, we'll pick up in verse 5. When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room. Close your door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetitions as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And now for today, pray then in this way. Our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Now, as we're studying through this prayer... It's important for us to remember, and I'm going to reiterate this, and you're going to see this in the title, that this is not a prayer to be memorized per se. It's not wrong. It's not sinful. But that's not really the point of the prayer. This is a pattern. It is a pattern for prayer. And so that's what we're going to title this little mini-series, A Pattern for Prayer, and this will be part one. Okay? So if you think in those terms, you'll understand this very, very clearly. But let's just back up just for a moment and, and get our minds again around what we've been studying. And that is, uh, the Lord has made it very, very clear that prayer is essential to the life of individuals. As I said a couple of weeks ago, it is the communication link that we have between us and our Heavenly Father. And so it's to be a very normal part of our life. In fact, Jesus said in verse 5 and 7, which we just read again, he says, when you pray, okay, when you pray, what he means by that is that prayer is to be a normal part of our life. And Jesus modeled that. As God come in the flesh, he regularly, daily in fact, communed with his heavenly father. Not only did he just do that because it was essential, he knew he needed strength himself from it. He was fully man, but yet fully God. And so in his humanness, he needed the Father to give him everything that he needed. He needed prayer to be one with him. They were one in spirit already. But again, Jesus had come and given his earthly life to be fully human as much as he was fully God. But knowing those two distinctions, he knew that he needed his link with God to be continual. And so daily communion was essential for him. For everything that he had come to do, which was to follow everything and repeat everything the Lord had commanded him to do and to repeat. In fact, in John's gospel, chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus said, truly, truly, and anytime you see that, you know Jesus is serious, so listen, he's always serious, but he's really wanting to get this point across. I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. In John chapter 8, verse 28, Jesus says, I do, not, I do nothing on mine own initiative, but I speak the things as the Father taught me. In John 12, 49, Jesus says, For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. And for Jesus to do what the Father wanted him to do and to say what the Father wanted him to say obviously required him to be in constant communication with the Father. And so we see that clearly throughout the Scriptures. Now that's New Testament speaking, but let's go back to the Old Testament for a minute because prayer was also a very common thing for Jewish people. 
It was normal. We could say it that way. In fact, the disciples would have known and been a part of prayer all of their lives as people growing up in the Hebrew faith, in the Jewish faith. Prayer was a vital part of their life. There were many things that they did and understood about God as a result of prayer. In fact, we have numerous accounts of people praying in the Old Testament. In fact, God did some amazing things as a result of people's prayers long before Jesus came on the scene. Some of those were, you remember Abraham, the father of the Hebrew nation, who was the servant of God. He sent his servant at one point to find a wife for Isaac. And through that servant's prayer, God led him to Rebekah. You remember the story there. Jacob prayed and his brother prayed for his brother and his brother's heart was softened toward him. You remember that? It was a great consternation between the two boys. It's a long story there. You should go back and reread some of these things. Moses, the great man of God, prayed when God wanted to destroy the Hebrew people. You remember that? There were numerous times, I was just telling somebody just the other day that Moses is one of my favorite characters in the scripture. Such a humble man, but such a wonderful leader, such a faithful follower of God. But there was a point where Moses, a couple points where Moses got really irritated with the Hebrew people. But there were also times where God got irritated with his people. And if it weren't for Moses' prayer in Exodus 32, God would have wiped out the Hebrew nation. But because of Moses' prayer, God relented and turned from his wrath, we're told. Hannah prayed that Samuel would be born, if you remember that story. The prophets prayed over and over again. In fact, Elijah prayed, and it didn't rain, we're told, for three years. I kind of like that prayer. Wouldn't mind that on certain days when it's really coming down hard. But then again, we're told that he prayed, and it rained after that. And so prayer was not only well-known to the Lord himself, but it's well-known to the Hebrew people. But then after Jesus is teaching now on this particular passage and the incorrect understanding of what prayer is all about, which is really what Jesus has been doing in this sermon, in this particular section, specifically about the religious leaders, you can imagine that there was something, at least some building in their own hearts, the disciples' hearts, the people listening as to, okay, what is, we, what are, what is prayer really all about then? If Jesus is fussing about and, and correcting the hearts of those who are supposed to be our spiritual leaders concerning this very subject, what then are we supposed to be doing with this subject of prayer? And so they ask him, how should we pray then? In fact, now, Matthew doesn't record this specifically uh, unless I didn't do my research uh, carefully enough, but Luke does. And he says in Luke, or Luke records in Luke chapter 11, it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. So they knew that there was something going on between John the Baptist and his own disciples. And so they looked to the Lord and said, hey, teach us to pray, which is an interesting statement because they would have known all about prayer being people who had raised up, been raised in the culture that I was just talking about. And so in verse 2 in Luke's gospel, Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and then finishes the rest of what we just heard from Neil and even in our scripture. But I think what we need to understand is that Jesus is laying out for the disciples something that they weren't really aware of. And as I was mentioning a moment ago, this was not so much a prayer per se, but it was a pattern for them to follow in their pray. That's really the point of what Jesus wants them to understand at this particular juncture. So again, it wasn't wrong to recite the words. It's not wrong for us to recite the words. It wasn't sin for Neil to come up and sing this beautiful song. Certainly not. But what is wrong about this is that when it becomes just that, just a recited, memorized prayer, which is what the Lord is not teaching us here. He wants us to understand something much more intimately about what he is giving. And so his point is to not make this a prayer, but an outline. An outline, And that's really how it should be thought about, about how our prayers should be focused or even how they should be structured. There is purpose behind what the Lord wants us to be thinking about as we're praying. And really it's clear for several reasons, three in particular, when you look at what Jesus says in verse 9. Notice he says in chapter 6, verse 9, pray in this way. Now what he means by that is it does not mean that this is to be recited verbatim necessarily, but again, a pattern. So pray 
like this or something of this nature. Notice he says, in this way. It's like saying, use this as a pattern or according to the points that I'm giving to you, the subject matter that I'm giving to you. So that's number one. Secondly, we know this is a pattern because to simply recite the verses or to the prayer, the prayer would be to violate what he just said to us in verse 7, which is to just use meaningless repetition in the way that we talk to the Lord. That's what we talked about two weeks ago. For example, many of us learn by repetition. Most of us learn by repetition. And the more we repeat, the more it sinks into our brains. Well, we do that often with our spiritual lives as well. And so when we come across something that we want to remember, we will memorize it. Well, that's typically what's happened with the Lord's Prayer. We have memorized it, and we can even recite it when it begins. You may not be able to do it immediately, but when somebody else besides you starts reciting it, you can start saying it, right? But how many of us can pause long enough to explain the meaning behind the words in the prayer? Do you see the difference? Which is what the Lord is after. We are to be listening and looking to the Lord with our hearts. Many people can explain, but a lot of people just can't. And so we grow up spiritually memorizing things, but we're not even sure what we've really learned. And so we don't want to do that. And thirdly, and I guess we could say finally, that we know it's a pattern because we don't have any record in Scripture of a prayer being recited by memory uh, really anywhere as the standard, as something that God affirms. Lots of prayers, but really no standard per se uh, in any other place in Scripture. And so as always, we want to make sure that when we're learning something, that God is giving to us clarity in all places. We're not just taking a point from something or some place and making that everything that there is to be about it. That's not the case. Okay, so now, if we understand that this is a pattern, it really becomes very helpful because most people don't know how to pray. And that's just being honest. In fact, many people have said to me over the years, you know, Pastor Bruce, please don't call on me to pray in public because I don't feel comfortable. And, that, and I understand that. I know some people are private and, and they just don't like that. But often it is generated from the heart that says, I really don't know what to say. I don't know how to do this. And if you really quiz people enough, which I've done over the years, to get to the bottom of what their heart may be thinking, it comes out something like that. I I really just am uncertain about what to do with prayer because they're either intimidated or, again, they don't understand what to say or whatever it might be. They've grown up believing that prayer is only for a certain posture. There's the memorization again. If I'm not kneeling in a certain place with my hands put in a certain way, if I'm not confessing to the priest or whomever it may be, it's not really a valid prayer, and so I really don't know what to do beyond that. And so all of this filters in to our thinking, and the Lord knows this as he watched the hypocritical leaders recite prayers for themselves to be seen. Remember we saw that two weeks ago. Jesus says, don't be like that. That's not real praying. And so as he's helping them to see what prayer is, they then say, well, then teach us to pray, Lord. And so basically he's saying, okay, here's how you pray, but what I really want you to understand is not so much what I'm saying to you is, but this is a pattern to remember in your prayer. Okay, and we'll, we'll go through that even much more quickly or more carefully here in just a minute. You know, to be a Christian, beloved, is to have a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm saying that specifically that way because to have a relationship is one thing. Many people, in fact, I would say that most people have some kind of relationship with Jesus. A relationship can be very deep or it can be very shallow. Most people, when they hear the name Jesus, have some kind of awareness of him. That's relational to its own way, in its own way. But it's far different to have a saving relationship with Jesus, a personal relationship with him. We know what it's like to be personal, right? We are personal this morning. We have connection and communion. And so there's a vast difference between just knowing about Jesus and having a personal saving relationship with him, understanding that he gave his life so that we could be rescued from the penalty of our sin. 
That's why he came, to build within us a spirit life with him so that we know what salvation is all about, so we can be with him just as joyfully we were talking about. My dad is in heaven right now. My mom is in heaven, and Brother Glenn is in heaven even as of this morning. We're confident in that because of this knowledge that God has given to us because of the work of Jesus Christ. That is a personal saving relationship. It is not a system of just do's and don'ts. That's not what a relationship is all about. And many people live just that way. As long as I do this and I don't do that, then maybe I'm okay, but still feel like they're walking on shaky ground and probably should feel that way because God wants us to have a personal relationship with him. Just a quick story. Uh, Just last week, uh, before my dad started going down further, uh, one of the caregivers and I were talking Uh, because she had come into the room and dad couldn't really respond at this point but they had a great relationship and so she went to his top dresser drawer and she opened it and she says Mr. G that's what she always called him she said Mr. G I need a coin now she's talking to dad dad can't respond and I'm just listening to all this and I said oh what what do you need she says I got to scratch my lottery tickets I said oh okay You know, I didn't feel like that was the time to do a lot of biblical teaching. I probably should have, but I didn't take the opportunity to do that. The Lord will forgive me for that, I feel. So anyway, she takes and she goes and she sits on my dad's bed there. He was in a hospital bed beside his regular bed. And she begins to scratch the tickets. And she says, you know, my brother buys $100 to $200 worth of tickets a day. A day. I said, no. And she said, yes, he does. And I said, good. She said, but he wins, and he wins big at times, but boy, he's lost a lot. She said, probably lost more than he's won. Well, that's kind of beside the point that I wanted to make here. But anyway, she says this, but you know what he does? She was really funny. She said, he takes some of those lottery tickets that he hadn't scratched yet, and he puts them in his Bible. And I said to him one day, she said, get those things out of your Bible. She said, don't you have any respect? That's the Bible. Get them out of there. And I thought to myself, that's kind of typically how we respond to spiritual things. You know, we have this tendency to think God is over here and I'm over here, or vice versa. And as long as the two are separate and distinct, then we're okay, right? But that's not a personal relationship, right? A personal relationship is that there is communion between the two openly to where there's no secrets and there's a oneness here. And that's what the Lord is really pushing for here. And so... We could stretch that even further with some illustrations and simply say that just to give, for example, to the church without prayer and communion with God, the giving's great, but it really doesn't have any meaning spiritually unless there's great communion with God in the midst of the giving. This is what we're commanded in Scripture. Pray about what we're to give. Give sacrificially, but commune with God in prayer over the giving. We could use the fasting illustration. We've talked about fasting and done fasting as a church over the years. Fasting has its value, but really it's just withholding food and starving yourself unless there's prayer behind it and the purpose of what we're really doing the fasting for. Trying to just live a righteous life on your own without communing with God on a regular minute-by-minute basis is really pointless. It's good but it doesn't have the effect that God is looking for without prayer. And so people need desperately to know how to pray and what to pray. Otherwise, our prayers become very selfishly focused. We start focusing on us. And you and I have talked about that over the years. We're really good at focusing on you and me individually, aren't we? We love ourselves. And so our prayers end up being a lot about ourselves. Again, it's not wrong to pray about our own needs. Don't hear that. We should do that. God wants to hear those things. But it's not so much about what we need to be focusing on first. And so the Lord now, in his purpose, wants to turn the hearts of the disciples to God, number one. Number one, when we're praying, God wants our hearts to be turned to him. And he will supply everything we need in this life. Everything. I reiterate that at the end of the message, Philippians 4.19. God will provide, and he will do it according to his will, 1 John 5.14. Whatever we ask him, as long as it's according to his will, he hears us. Now, he always hears us, but in the purpose of his divine work, 
He responds in the way that he knows that's best for us and for his purposes for us in this life. And so, again, Jesus' point is not only do we need to pray, but there are some critical things to remember in our prayers. Prayer should be obvious, in other words. That should be normal for us. It should not be uncomfortable for us. It is a communion with the Lord, but he is saying there's some things to remember because of who you are praying to, okay? Because of who you're praying to. Now, just again, to give you a little bit of an outline of how this works, I'm just basically covering the intro this morning. We're not going to get through this by any stretch. It's going to take a couple messages. Verses 9 through 10 in your outline mind, if you will, are going to focus on God. And you'll see that very clearly. It's a focus on God, verses 9 and 10. Verses 11 through 13 focus on our need or man's needs that must be fulfilled. Okay, so we've got God, number one, and then we've got us. Now, breaking the outline down even a little further, and we'll go over all this again in other messages, the first three concerning God are A, a recognition of God and his holiness. Okay, and Jesus says that right from the beginning. We are to recognize God and his holiness. We are to be looking for and urging God to bring his kingdom here. We're looking for his coming. And then finally, a desire for his will to be done. Now, if you don't get all this down, it's okay. You go back and watch the message, but we're going to go over it again. All right? I just want you to see this in the basic part of it. Now, the second part of that that I mentioned about man's needs are a request for our daily needs. So there they are. Lord, help us. Forgive us. And then also protect us. Okay? Provide. You could say it that way. Provide. Forgive and protect. Now, I just want to focus on verse 9, really, for today. Number one, let's look at this. Jesus says, Our Father who art in heaven. Okay? Our Father who art in heaven. So Jesus is saying, in your pattern of thinking, in your prayer life, you need to remember that your focus is to be on God as your Father. You must remember that. And you know, many times the world... And I'm talking about the unsaved world, those that care nothing about God, could be good people but just have no relationship or concern with God. And even Christians will define people as children of God. You hear this all the time. It's a common statement. We are all God's children, right? You've been in conversations like that. You'll hear it on television. You'll hear it on the radio. In conversation, people say, well, we're all God's children. Well, I hate to burst the bubble, but that's not accurate. That's not what God teaches us. We are all creations of God. That is true. That is very true. We are all creations of God, but only those people who surrender themselves, their lives, their spirits to the living Christ and have repented of their sins. That's to turn away from. I'm walking this direction and I turn and go this direction. That's what the word repentance means. I see my sin. I see the how it devalues me and God and I turn from that. Those people who accept Jesus' sacrifice in the repayment for or the payment for their own personal sins become God's children. And that's what the Bible teaches us. Notice this in John chapter 1 verse 12. As many as receive him, that's Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Notice he didn't say creations of God. We're already creations. He says, as many as receive Jesus, to them, to those people only, he gives the right to become children of God. In Romans 8, 14, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. The Spirit of God lives in those people. Those are the true children. Galatians 3, 26, for you are all sons of God, but watch this, through faith, in whom? Christ Jesus. That's why we're children of God. Otherwise, we're creations of God. And you say, well, 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 then wait a minute. If that makes us children of God, then who are the other people? And what, who do they belong to? Who's their father? Well, Jesus addressed that too. In John chapter 8. And this is a little uh, lengthy passage, but let's take a look at it together. It begins in verse 38. In his um, common way, Jesus is addressing these religious 
hypocrites. And so he says, I am telling you what my father has shown me just as you are doing what your father has taught you. Hmm, how about that? A distinction. The people said to Jesus, Abraham is our father. And Jesus replied, listen, if Abraham were... If you were Abraham's children, you would do what Abraham did. Instead, you want to kill me for telling you the truth that God gave me. Abraham never did anything like that. But you're doing exactly what your father does. Don't accuse us of having someone else as our father, they said. We just have one father and he is God. Jesus answered, if God were your father, you would love me. Because I came from God and only from him, he sent me. I did not come on my own. Why can't you understand what I'm talking about? Can't you stand to hear what I'm saying? Now, Jesus wasn't asking those questions because he didn't know the answer. He wanted them to know. He knew they they didn't know the answer. Your father is the devil. And you do exactly what he wants. He has always been a murderer and a liar. There is nothing truthful about him. He speaks on his own and everything he says is a lie. How about that? Everything I have told you is true and you still refuse to have faith in me. Can any of you accuse me of sin? If you cannot, why won't you have faith in me? After all, I'm telling you the truth. Anyone who belongs to God will listen to this message. How about that? But... You refuse to listen because you don't belong to God. Pretty clear, right? There's only two people in this world, the children of God and the children of Satan. There's no in-between. There's nothing outside of those parameters. And so simply when Jesus is giving the pattern for prayer, as we go back to the point here now, he starts by saying, in your prayer, whenever it is that you're praying, You need to always remember to whom you belong. Don't forget that. He is your father. You are then his son or daughter. That's very critical. So act like it. Live your life like it. If you belong to the father, then be a child of the father. And remember that your communication with him is critical. It's necessary. You know, I'm so amazed today of how little respect there is for fathers. Some fathers, unfortunately, probably deserve it. But there really is very little respect for fathers and even parents in general. You know, children say to their fathers things that I would never dream of saying to my dad. Even in my most frustrating times with my dad, I would never say the things that some people say about their fathers and how they even refer to their dads what words they say about their dads, or even how they ignore their dads. It's really tragic in the society that we're living in, the culture we're living in. And that, that kind of thinking, though, begins to breed in the hearts of individuals their concept of who God the Father is. We'll talk about that more in just a minute. But like this one illustration of how we really should be thinking of our fathers, he teaches us kindness by being thoughtful and gracious even at home. He teaches us patience by being gentle and understanding over and over. He teaches honesty by keeping his promises to his family, even when it costs. He teaches courage by living unafraid with faith in all circumstances. He teaches justice by being fair and dealing equally equally with everyone. He teaches obedience to God's word by precept and example as he reads and prays daily with his family. He teaches love for God and his church and he takes his family regularly to all the services. His steps are important because others follow. That is a great, simple illustration of how an earthly man should be living. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't. And so we have this lack of concern and regard for what fathers are to be. And so the point that I'm making here is that as Jesus is developing this pattern for us right from the get-go, he's clearly articulating to us, remember this, children, he is your father. Treat him that way. Now the difficulty for many people is they don't have an earthly father to relate to a heavenly father with, and so they don't know how to do that, and that's why Jesus is teaching on the subject. It's why we need this. He's basically saying, forget about what you've learned or what you feel or what you sense from your own earthly existence and listen to what I'm saying. 
If you have the Spirit of God living in you, look at him as your father. There's a distinction there in a good way. And to know God as father then brings a whole different light and powerful meaning behind the emphasis of prayer in several ways. Number one, to know God as father removes fear from our lives. Now, you may not be able to identify with some of these points, but again, that's why Jesus is teaching on these things so that we begin to see God for who he really is. And this was a critical thought for the people about fear and God because the pagan worshipers of Jesus' day lived in incredible fear of their gods. I'm talking about fear. They were terrified of their gods. And so this would be a shocking kind of a statement to him as Jesus says, consider him not just as your God, but he is your father. That would be totally foreign to them. Some of you this morning may be saying the same thing. I have a hard time conceptualizing, not me, but I'm saying this in the third person, that God is my father? What? Some people would say, I don't even know how to relate to that. Well, that's exactly where the people listening to Jesus would have been. Can't relate to that. And so Jesus uses these words very, very carefully. And so he's saying, listen, as you begin to understand that God is your father, remember he is not only your creator and your God, but he is your daddy. And the word here that's being used in the translation is Greek, which is the word for father. But Jesus probably was using the Aramaic form of the word, which was Abba. Daddy, heavenly daddy, okay? my daddy. Now, a lot of people don't call their dads daddy, uh, but some people do, but you understand the intimacy of that. And that's really the point here. You don't have to be afraid of daddy. We're talking about daddy in the good sense. Daddy who's the loving man the kind man, the gracious man, the encouraging man, the providing man, and all these things. We should respect him. Fear, yes, in the sense that he is dad, that he is daddy. You know, I I can't help but go through this and think about my relationship with my own father. As I said, he was my hero in this life as an earthly man. But there was a sense of understanding in this in my mind that I there was there were many days where I... I never wanted to cross my dad. In fact, even to his last breath, I felt that sense of, this is my dad. I don't want to do anything to disrespect him. Now, there weren't always days in my life where I was the best son in the world. You've, you've known all about my dirty laundry, right? And dad washed it a lot. But there was never that loss of, of honor for him because I understood, thankfully, from him and from the Lord that he was my dad. He wasn't just the man occupying occupying the chair in front of the television. He wasn't just the bill payer. He wasn't the one that I needed to go to and say, hey, Dad, you have 20 bucks, I can put gas in the car. No, he was all of those things, but he was my dad. You see, and Jesus is trying to reorient the thinking to say, no, your heavenly Father is more like your dad. And he loves you. You don't need to fear him in the sense that you would fear some pagan God. Secondly, not only does knowing God as your father, your daddy, remove fear, but it removes insecurity. Creates a great sense of security, in fact. Uh, You know, we've already made this point, I think, but uh, dads have a huge impact on their children. Uh, For any man who thinks that's not true, he is living a lie. It is so true. And every one of us are children, aren't we? I mean, we're all children. We had parents. We may not have known those parents, but we had parents. And we know what kind of effect they had on us. I just spoke about my dad. You know that. But some of you can't say that positively about your parent or your dad especially. And as I was reiterating a minute ago, for you, this may be a difficult subject. And and to, to kind of be there with the Hebrews that Jesus is speaking to. You may be one who has a great deal of insecurity because of your lack of feeling of love and your connection with your earthly daddy. You didn't get that. 
But dads in their own right are meant to be those who do just the opposite, to build security in their children. That's our goal with our words, with our actions, with the things that we do with them in time and instruction. Whatever it may be, our whole focus as a dad is to represent our heavenly father, right? Our heavenly daddy, so that they get the picture of the heavenly father that they cannot see with their earthly eyes, but begin to know him because of the personality of the earthly dad. And so our lives, men, are critical to these little guys growing up, and even to young men. I'm 56 years old. Everybody clap. Listen, interrupt myself. If I get too far, I'll forget what I want to say. Listen, I'm 56 years old, and I'm telling you that my dad at 85 still had a significant influence on my life, right? Do you get that? Well, don't just get it from me. What the Lord is saying to us, that's what your heavenly Father wants with you. So think in your prayers, in your pattern, I am going to communicate with my daddy, my dad. He loves me. I don't need to fear him. I already belong to him, right? I don't need to be insecure. But so many people live just the opposite to that. And it's tragic. I was reading a story actually this morning, and it just goes like this. There's a Spanish story of a father and son who had become estranged, And the son ran away, and the father set off to find him. He searched for months to no avail. Finally, in the last desperate effort to find him, the father put an ad in the Madrid newspaper. And the ad read, Dear Paco, meet me in front of this newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. On Saturday, 800 Pacos showed up. I mean, that's just tragic. I mean, you can't even read any further, right? Looking for forgiveness and love from their fathers. Wow. I read that this morning. I thought, oh my goodness. How telling is that? How many people this morning, and you may be one of them, are looking for a father, your father, to just express their love for you. And as our Heavenly Father, God wants us to be secure. He wants us to know these things. He wants to remove all the fear that comes from being human by knowing that we have someone who loves us just like he does, who stands there with you to support us, to guide us, to lead us in all the ways that he does with great care and concern simply because you are his child. Wow, how beautiful. And again, I've found so many times that people just miss this over the years about God because they just didn't have an earthly father that reflected the heavenly father and so often again their view of the heavenly father is fear, anxiety insecurity, uh, frustration distance and so again uh, dads uh, you just have such an impact on your kids so moving on here Jesus wants us to know no matter what your her- no matter what your earthly father was like and this really becomes important No matter what your earthly father was like, I think the Lord is saying, I want you to set him in your mind over here for a minute. And I want you to focus on your heavenly father. This really takes some effort, but this is what he wants you to do. Matthew 7, 11, If then you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give you what is good to those who ask of him? You may be remembering a time where your father said, No, I'm not going to do that for you, huh? Just because I'm dad and I don't like you. But your heavenly father is saying, you know what? I love you so much that no matter what your need is, I will do everything to provide that need as I know you need it. It's beautiful. Matthew 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. Listen, think about that. As my dad breathed his last, last breath, as Brother Glenn breathed, breathed his last breath this morning, I believe with everything that the, Lord, the Lord's truth is there, that they were ushered into an eternity with their heavenly Father. That's what the Lord is saying here. 
They'll never perish. No one will ever snatch them out of my hand, Jesus says. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Listen, if the Father does this and I commune with him regularly, I do exactly what he says. Nothing negative is going to happen to his children. They will be safe forever. And just this last week, I got a call from a family that I'd been working with over the years and hadn't talked to them for quite a while. And uh, they called and said, hey, we'd like to come in and talk with you about something. Uh, the husband had a friend that he had worked with for many years that uh, took his own life just a couple weeks ago. And he was this friend, the man who came to see me, was really, really struggling with that. And uh, they're not a part of our church. Uh, but wanted to know what I thought and what I said, the, what I learned the Bible says about our security, and even in a situation like that when a person takes their life. And what a joy it was to go back to verses like that and be able to say, it was wrong for that person to take their own life. God gives us life, God takes our life, right? We don't need to ever go through, so this is not permission to commit suicide by any stretch. But I think what the Lord is saying here is that even in desperate times when people in their sinfulness and their, their lack of thinking clearly Whatever the reasons, God is saying, you're secure in me. Now, some will teach the opposite of that, but I don't see that in Scripture. Now, again, I'm not giving permission to commit suicide, so don't run out of here and commit suicide, okay? Don't do that. Good, I'm going to heaven. God, pastor said I could get there early, and I'm just going to do this. No, I'm not saying that, okay? What I am saying is, is that through the tempting power of Satan and sinfulness, there are times where people fall into great weakness, and they take their life. Those who belong to the Lord and truly have belonged to the Lord are safe in the hands of the Lord. Now, we could question if the salvation were real. That's a real question too. But just suffice it to say, when we're safe in the Father's hand, we're safe in the Father's hand. Okay? Now, thirdly, knowing God as our Father removes loneliness. As all of us experience loneliness at times, Jesus was very clear. The Old Testament is even clear. The writer of the Hebrews is clear that God will never leave us. He will never desert us. Uh, some people live some miserable lives because of loneliness. You may be experiencing that right now. Some of my pastor friends, we've been talking about this. It's just There's a loneliness that's just kind of crept in on us, right? Through all this COVID thing. That's why it's such a blessing to be back together, isn't it? Satan wants nothing more than to separate us because he knows the effects of loneliness. This is why solitary confinement is so effective on prisoners. You'll destroy the mind by isolating them from humanity. But our Father says, listen, in your darkest moments, I will never leave you. I will never leave you. So to know God as our Father is to remove all insecurity, no matter what, life throws at us, no matter who rejects us, no matter what has caused us to be the way we are in this life, our Heavenly Father, our Daddy is always with us. So Jesus says, when you pray, never forget that He will never leave you alone. He's your Father. You see all of these subjects, that's why this is a pattern. That's why it's not encompassing in all these one verses, these few verses, because there's so much behind them. We have to think of these things thoroughly. In fact, you know, I was thinking about also the, the thief on the cross who died with Jesus, actually the two thieves. You ever wonder what their parents were like? I never thought about that really until just recently. And then as I was putting this together, I thought, here we have these two men that both were convicted criminals. That's what the crucifixion was all about. Jesus was there unjustly in that sense, uh, fighting to be on the cross to pay our debt as the perfect sacrifice, but unjustly in the legal sense. But here these two men were guilty of their sins, their crimes. But yet the one has a heart and turns to Jesus in the last minute. But you just wonder, what was it in their life that caused them to be there? I guess it's just kind of another argument to the importance of dads, importance of fathers. So you can leave it at that if you want. Jesus said to them in Luke 23, Today you will be with me in paradise. Don't you see how he just slices through all the things that we deal with here. He just cuts right through it all. Listen, in that one statement, you can just hear the Lord in his compassion saying to that dear man, 
because you have turned your heart to me, on this day you will be not cast into outer darkness. You're going to be with me forever. Unbelievable. I hope you think like this. Okay, let's keep going. Fourthly, knowing God as our Father should keep us from being selfish. This should be pretty obvious. It's so easy to be selfish. Have that me first attitude. You know, that's what sinners do. And we're all there. And so to help us get rid of that selfishness from our life, Jesus says, remember, you're part of a larger family. Notice in the verse there again. That's why he says, our Father. The prayer doesn't say, my Father. It says, our Father. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, God has lots of children, right? They're not just in this room. They're all different colors, different makeups, live in all parts of the world. And so God says, listen, remember, you have lots of brothers and sisters. That doesn't mean, of course, that just what we talked about, he doesn't have time for you, he does. He has all the time in the world to do that. But he's saying to us, remember, your life is not about you. There are many involved in this. You are all God's family. And so, if he chooses to bless one over the other, what business is that of yours? God does what God does. You don't need to be selfish about it. You don't need to get all bent out of shape. If somebody has a talent that's different from the other one and that talent gets noticed and the other one doesn't, then who cares? Because God is working his plan perfectly in each of us. We should rejoice in our brother or sister's life, right? We should enjoy what God is doing in another person's life. So often our times are like, I'm so thankful God is doing that for you. And all the while in our sinfulness, we're going, why isn't he doing that for me? Right? We just so easily flip these things around. Boy, I'm so excited for you and the blessing that you received. And in the back of our minds, we might be saying, well, why didn't God do that for my son or daughter? You see how selfishness just comes out so quickly? And God says, listen, if you remember that you're part of a big family and God can encompass all of this easily, you don't have to worry about what somebody gets and you don't get. That's sin. Just accept the fact that he's your daddy and you got lots of brothers and sisters and he loves them all. And you, do, you need to do the same thing. David understood these kind of things so well. Listen, he just wanted to praise his father in Psalm 139, 14. He says, I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made Listen to how he saw himself. Wonderful are your works. And my soul knows that is very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. You know, somebody listening to my voice right now might say, Pastor, you don't have any idea where I came from and what my life was like and where my parents came from. I don't even know my parents. I was born in the dregs of society and the filth of the world. Well, you know what the scripture says? God knows. You were not hidden from his view when he made you. David says, Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me. Wow. They're ordained. Listen, my dad took his last breath at 8.56 last Wednesday morning. You know why? Because that was the day ordained for him. Glenn Villers took his last breath on 7.01 this morning. You know why? Because those were the, that was the time ordained for him. And David is acknowledging this. Listen, we don't need to be insecure. We don't need to be fearful. He is our daddy. Our days are ordained. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. It's like, God, I know you can't stop thinking about me. Just yesterday, Debbie and I were late coming back because our son Nathan was promoted to major in the army. And we were there for a little ceremony. And guess who was taking pictures? And we were. We, we, man, we're excited, right, for our son. We wanted to be a part of that. Well, David is saying here, listen, how vast is the sum of your thoughts towards me. Your father, our heavenly father, beloved, is snapping pictures like crazy. I mean, can you imagine his selfie arm? This is my son. Now you say, well, he would do that with Jesus. No, yes, of course he would. But he's also saying, you are my child. 
Get in the picture. Right? And I have this problem always hitting the wrong button. <laughs> and my arm's not long enough. You know, Debbie and I laugh about this because I always hit the wrong one, turn the camera off. But you know, God's arm is perfect and he just knows how to take the best photographs because we're his children and he can do it perfectly. And David says they're vast. Verse 18, if I should count them, they would outnumber the sand, his thoughts towards us. When I awake, I am still with you. Beautiful, beautiful truth. All right, let's keep going. We'll we'll wrap this up. Fifth, knowing God is our father means he has all the resources we need in this life. In other words, as our father, he does what? He provides. That's what dads do. That's what real dads do. So we don't need to worry about tomorrow. Jesus has already said that. He will say that again. The truth is, if we break it down, when you lose your job, guess what? We don't need to worry. You say, Pastor, that's asking a lot. Well, I'm not asking anything. I'm just telling you what the Lord said. He can provide. He will provide. When your resources get tight, you need something that you don't have, guess what? He can provide it. He's your daddy. He loves you. He will provide for you. Listen, Psalm 50, verse 10. For every beast of the forest is mine, the Lord says. The cattle on a thousand hills. I don't know what that really means. I've thought about that a lot over the years. I've used that phrase. But all I can imagine as a country boy growing up and looking out at the fields and looking at the cows, I'm thinking, man, that's a lot of cows. Verse 11, I know every bird of the mountains. You know, just the other day, you're all going to have to help me, make me sit down because I'm going to just keep talking. <laughs> just the other day, I was walking into our shed. Debbie and I were walking in the shed, and there was a little bird in there. I was like, oh, man, he's going to get stuck in here. And so we left the door open, and I guess later he got out. But, you know, as silly as it sounds, to us at the moment, he was just a bird, right? But the Lord says, I know every bird of the mountains. The Lord knows that little bird right there and cares about that bird. And we'll see again this more as we get through these passages later. How about this? Everything that moves in the field is mine. Everything. And of course, how could we forget Philippians 4.19? Here it is. God will supply all our needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And many of you are great testimonies to that, to that very truth. Listen, to be a child of the Father is to have everything we need in this life. And that means emotional too. That means everything. Not just physical, not just tangible, but internal. God will work in our hearts to meet all our needs. All of them. All of them. Right? I was so blessed as I finish up my thoughts about Dad when he was taking his final breaths, this truth really came home to me. As I was watching the caregivers around him, my brother and I were standing there and and the caregivers, and as dad was just, his breaths were getting shorter and, and longer in between. I was just overwhelmed with the care that God was providing for him in his dying moment. And this verse just began to ring in my mind as God says, I will provide all your needs. And I felt him saying, Bruce, even in your dying breaths, I will provide for you. Praise his name, right? Praise the Lord. Folks, listen, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be insecure. We don't have to wonder. God says, in your prayers, remember this. I'm your father. I'm your daddy. I love you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to take care of you. And to grow up that way is just absolutely incredible. So, when we pray, it's a good place to stop. God knows what we need, right? Didn't Jesus just say that? He knows what you need. So, Lord, teach us how to pray then. Okay, here we go. Remember this. He's your heavenly father. Start there. And everything filters from that. Okay? All right. Well, let's close. And we'll pray just that way. Lord, as we...
just come to such a wonderful time together, such a special, blessed time as we have this opportunity during our week to, to love on one another and to enjoy each other's company and to grieve with those that are grieving right now, to rejoice with those that are rejoicing. We do so because of what you've taught us. Not just because they're words, but because you came to this earth and you proved that you are God. Through your miracles and through your words, through your actions, everything that you did pointed to the Heavenly Father, which in turn pointed to you as one with him. And so even right now, as we close our precious time together, Lord, we thank you, number one, but we thank you especially because you are our Father. And Lord, because you are our Father, you have put a love in our hearts that we didn't have. You did it. We were not capable of loving you in return until you put your love in us first. We thank you that you opened our eyes to see these things so that we might know you as our heavenly daddy. Thank you, Lord, that no matter what our earthly father was like or what this earthly life has been like emotionally and physically and all the negative things, Lord, we're comforted by knowing that you are our father. Oh, and like David... Lord, the words that you have for us, the expression that you have for us, the joy that you have for us, just because your son, Christ, has paid all the debt that was necessary to make us your children. And so we honor you today. We praise you and we worship you, which we'll see more fully next time. But for now, Lord, we ask that you would glorify yourself and that we may exemplify you as our Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.